0: You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers podcast. I am Brian Levinson, excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I just wanna thank you all for being here. Thanks for listening. For those that don't know me, I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach where I work with athletes and I work with organizations and I work with executives in the corporate world on their mindset. And I love the work that I do for a living. And so I fired up this podcast to find out what are people doing to intentionally set their mind to be their best self. And I'm grateful to have you with us here today as we talk with Jake Thompson, who is certainly an intentional performer and is somebody who I got connected to. And Jake has an awesome podcast where he talks about competing every day. And I was fortunate to go on his podcast. And after we finished chatting, uh, we talked about having him come on my podcast. So it's been nice getting to know Jake as an interviewer and asking me questions, and then having him on my podcast where today we, we find out about his journey. And when I went on Jake's podcast, I was telling him about a cohort that I had created for executives. And uh, at the time of our interview, I was looking for more executives. And since that time, we've filled that cohort. So thanks to everybody who signed up. And thanks to those of you that have supported the cohort. And if you're interested in that, we're actually going to launch a third one in January. So it's a few months, away way. But if you want to sign up for it, feel free to reach out to me. But back to Jake, he is somebody who has lived an intentional life. He was really into sports when he grew up, and he's going to talk about that in this conversation. And he's going to talk about some points in his life that led to changes. And oftentimes, it is pain that leads us to move directions or to change. And so he's very open in this conversation about some of his past struggles, failures, challenges, and how that's led to opportunities for him and how he's kept perspective as he's gone on to really be a combination of a teacher and an entrepreneur, somebody who is trying to pour what he's learned and what he's continuing to learn into others. So he's a speaker, he's a podcast host. He's also a brand and marketing expert and Launched an apparel line that has really cool stuff. And he's also a writer and he talks about in this conversation his passion for writing and how he wants to inspire others through both his voice and the written word. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Jake Thompson. Jake, so excited to have you on the podcast. We've had some technical difficulties. Uh, I was a little late to recording because... I got locked out of my office. So today's been a great day other than those two little glitches. Um, And and fortunately, my day is about to get better because I'm going to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, we were talking before and I said, you know, I don't really know you. I know you from our calls. I know you from your podcast. Uh, I went on your podcast and had a blast having you ask great questions, but I don't really know you. And one of the things I love about the opportunity to to this podcast is that I get to know people and I really get to know their background and how they have come to be them. So that's what I want to do with you today is find out about what made you special, what made you unique from a young age, uh, and how you've come to be you. So give us a sense of your upbringing and what life was like for you as a kid.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in East Texas, back in the piney woods, small town America. So if you think Friday Night Lights, that is it. The town shuts down on Friday night, piles into the stadium to watch the team. Uh for me, I just love sports from a young age. Uh my dad wasn't a very athletic guy. I think he played uh when he was a kid. But for me, baseball, football, those were really the games I got into uh from a young age and started developing just this competitive drive because I wasn't the biggest. Um, I was held back, Uh, so going into Pee Wee football as the guy that was having to cut weight the the day before games to play, because I was tall and skinny, but not very muscular, Um, and so I just was very fortunate that my coaches were adamant about the idea of knowing where everyone was, being the smartest guy on the field, studying defensive, studying plays, and that working hard would allow me to play. Um, and so I think that paired really well with my stubbornness to just be like, I love this game. I wanna play this game. And to be honest with you, it was probably a lack of self-awareness to a degree of that I didn't realize that I wasn't gonna ever grow into six four. Uh, even in high school, when you're five ten, 5'11, 140 pounds, you're still like, I'm gonna be the baddest dude on the field. Like you just have this mindset that probably doesn't match your physicality, but uh, you just carry it that you want to play and, and that's what you want to do. And for me, it was actually pretty interesting that it wasn't until really the last couple of years I started to see growing up, I had a very much a growth mindset when it came to sports. I always knew like I could get better, I could get stronger, I could get faster to a degree. And in school, school was really easy for me. Like academics, I was raised by a teacher and my grandmother was a teacher uh, mom, so, mom or
1: dad was a teacher.
0: Uh, mom was a teacher. Uh, dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, dad's mom was a teacher. In fact, his brother and and sister-in-law are all teachers. So like there's a huge family of teachers, uh, that are there. And so school was really easy because I was taught probably earlier. I was taught to read a little bit earlier. I was doing stuff at home. So when I got into the classroom, it came very easily. And so because of that, I shied away from certain classes like I had to take AP classes for college, but there were certain teachers I didn't want to take because I knew they were hard and there was a chance I was going to get a B or a C and well, that would threaten, you know, my ranking in the class or that would threaten how I was perceived as smart or not. Whereas on the football field, it was completely different. Like my coaches would challenge me knowing there was a kid behind me that had a rocket arm and there was a guy ahead of me that was bigger built, more traditional style quarterback. And so they would say things and put me in positions to compete knowing that I would step up in those arenas. And then I had a very fixed mindset on the school side that I, I wouldn't really want to push those boundaries. And I saw that really later on in college, you start to see it because college kicked my tail my freshman year. I had to study and I was getting B's and C's like for the first time in my life. And I didn't like it. And at the same time, you know, you're struggling with this idea, like a lot of probably listeners that grew up playing sports you're not playing sports anymore. You know, I, I hurt my shoulder the summer before my freshman year of college, never ended up playing after high school. And so I had this giant loss of identity and something that I was very much in love with, wanted to do paired with struggling in an area that I usually always did really well in. And I just remember like college already is a transition period for all of us of just being adults and on our own and then dealing with that uh, I remember my sophomore, junior year just being kind of a cluster mentally, um, just not there. And looking, honestly, from everything from alcohol to girls to you name it, just trying to fill the void of, like, who am I? Where can I put myself on a status list? And then not having a competitive outlet. Like, you don't have that once you quit playing sports. And intramurals, as we know, is not that bill. Um, and so, for me, it was kind of that period that really continued – uh really my senior year of college, I started working at a sports representation agency. I was interning for one of the agents. I started to get a little bit of that fireback being in, in a sales recruiting position. Uh, but after two to three years in that space, I realized the guy I was working for wasn't who I wanted to become. Uh, and that I didn't like to see how the hot dog was made in terms of the sports business because I loved football. Like it was my first love, it was my worst breakup. Getting into seeing a lot of the the business side of it, you fall fall out of love with it. You can very easily if you're on the wrong in the wrong places. And so, I got out of that. Um, and I just I laugh. I remember the breaking point for me was I was in grad school. I just quit the agency. I went through a really nasty breakup with my ex girlfriend of college. My roommate went through a nasty breakup with his girlfriend at the same time. So we kind of had each other to lean on during that, but we would just drink. Uh, And he came home one night. This is actually really funny. I'm going to admit, he came home one night and I'm sitting on our coffee table playing Guitar Hero, probably drunk, uh, with uh, sunglasses on at 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. And he laughs and sits down and and is like, I'm going to play with you tonight. Tomorrow we got to fix whatever's going on with us. And so he and I at that time started just kind of evaluating what have we been doing? What's not working? What can we do better? And for me, it was realizing I'd put so much into competition, so much into sports that I just hadn't really figured out who I was outside of that. And when I really started reframing competition and looking at what makes you great in sports, like it's not talent factors in at the pro level, talent factors in, there's no question. But when you're a receiver, like, you don't really care what the DB is doing. You're going to run your route as hard as you can. You're going to make the best cut. You're going to catch the ball. Like that's all 100% on you. If you show up in off season workouts and train your tail off, like that is 100% on you. This the quote says like talent and genes don't get you up at six in the morning to hit the gym before work. Like that is a choice. And I started looking at all that and saying, you know, all the things that I knew made me really good at sports that if I worked hard and put in the effort and showed up and outsmarted guys, like that's actually what I need to be doing in life. It's not this idea that I'm going to get lucky break one day or that success is just guaranteed to happen because of who I think I am. You've got to put in the work for it. And so when I started to have that realization, things started to change in my life because I became much more intentional about my actions as well as I could start almost getting that competitive fire back Uh, With myself and just start pushing forward and so it's really an interesting journey of like growing up wanting to outwork outsmart everyone else to really now having the mindset of yesterday. Here's where I dropped the ball. Here's where I fell a little bit short. How can I be better today? How can I make sure we don't have two bad days in a row?
1: there's so much there to unpack but the one part that i wanted to the thread that i wanted to pull on was this idea of growth mindset and uh, for those that are unfamiliar with growth mindset it comes from a woman named carol dweck wrote a great book called mindset Uh, She's a professor at Stanford. And growth mindset basically means that you're not there yet and you're a work in progress. Fixed mindset, I am who I am. It is what it is. There's nothing I can do to change it. And when you talked about high school version of you, you said, I was really growth-minded in sports, willing to learn, whatever, compete, adapt, adjust. But in school, I was just like kind of fixed. I wasn't even willing to put myself out there and take AP exams or hard classes. Can you talk a little bit about that idea of how you could be so growth-minded in one area and so fixed-minded in another?
0: Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with a lack of self-awareness. Uh, you know, Because I wasn't aware at the time that was what it was. I had this identity that I'm a smart kid. And if you read a nurture shot by Ashley Merriman and Poe they talk about that, like praising kids for being smart versus their effort reinforces this idea that you don't want to ever sacrifice put yourself in a position where you could not be seen as smart like it's a scary thing Um, and so for me it was not being aware of it I can look back now and point and say okay this is exactly what was going on in my head but for me school was easy and I just kind of wanted to float through it Um, I didn't want to be challenged in that area uh, because I liked being naturally smart I love the idea of of someone well he's just naturally smart I can kind of coast through this sports for me there was never a fixed mindset like you're never gonna not get better and I don't know if it's from seeing the results in practice that when you're putting in time swinging a bat over and over you're gonna start to hit a ball you're gonna learn how to hit a curveball you're gonna throw a pass better for me as a quarterback I'm gonna learn timing better I'm gonna be able to hit those passes that you know I hadn't been able to the first time and so that's only a result of being challenged. In school, if I'm not being challenged and pushing myself, I'm not seeing that growth. I'm just saying, hey, I've shown up. I get this, take the test, move on. You don't kind of see those steps. And so the older I've gotten, the better my growth mindset has been. But the more I've also been aware of how many people still have that fixed mindset that, like you said, I am who I am. Failure and adversity is something to run from at all cost. versus Failure university sucks, but man, it's an opportunity and there is always something to learn from it and build on if you have the right mindset.
1: What I love about your story is I think it's many people's truths. And I do a lot of assessment testing and use personality assessments. And the one thing when you take a personality assessment, if you've ever taken any Myers Briggs, the DISC, uh, I use something called the Hogan, I created one. The challenge is most of us will say, well, it depends. Right? Like it depends. What are we talking about here? And one of the challenges that I have with growth mindset and fixed mindset or with grit or whatever we want to talk about is well, it really depends. Like I could be gritty as all hell in sports, but when it comes to school, maybe not. And so purpose is such a massive piece of the equation. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Simon Senek's work on on finding your why, um, but purpose and the reason why we do something is a part of the dialogue and the conversation. And just hearing your story about being both growth and fixed at the same time in your life, just depending on what activity you are doing is a great reminder to all of us, because I think we have a tendency to label, especially our youth and say, well, you're just this way or you're that way. And first of all, they're not finished products. None of us are. And then second of all, when we label someone, something you were missing some other part of their genius and there might be some other part of them that that's helpful for. And so with high school kids, especially, I remember I worked with a high school basketball team and a kid came into the gym one day with a shirt that said lazy, but talented. It was by Nike, Nike, Nike made a shirt called lazy that said lazy, but talented. It's unbelievable. And I looked at the kid and I was like, all right, coach isn't here yet. You're wearing that shirt. You're like the 11th guy on the team. Nice guy. I love the kid. But you're trying to crack the rotation. You're talented. And he's going to walk in and see that. What do you think he's going to think? So he goes back. He changes his shirt. Next day, he comes back. He's like, hey, Brian, I traded the shirt for something else. But what that story reminded me of is when I was his age and I was 17 years old, the cool kids in high school were lazy but talented. Yeah. Kids that were getting straight A's, I thought they were cool as long as they weren't trying hard. The quarterback or the point guard or whoever it might be, the pitcher, like, if they didn't have to work hard and they were good, that was it. And what I came to realize is the real world fires lazy but talented. So, you know, at some point, if you're part of a team or an organization, we see this in the NBA now, whereas 30 years ago, lazy but talented, you could still get away with it. Now those guys go undrafted. Like, they, there's literally a guy, I won't mention his name, uh, you know, a really talented basketball player this last draft. And I watch a lot of college basketball. I was like, how is this guy not getting drafted? I will guarantee you, it's because he's lazy, but talented. And he still may play in the NBA because he's so talented, maybe he'll change his ways. But uh, your story reminded me of that. so and and well, it's, when it, it's
0: fascinating, you, know. you said that I, I just want to hit on it because we get caught, especially in high school and even as we get older in social circles, not to stand out. Like you don't want to look like you're trying to do better and stand out because then you're you're labeled negatively in school. Like if you're the kid that's studying hard, working hard, now that's not cool kids. Like we want to be back here in the, in the socially accepted circle. And, and it even happens as adults, which is weird. Like you have the coworker that's busting their tail and, and showing up and doing great work. The other coworkers kind of resent of like, Hey, you, you don't need to be trying as hard when in reality, like it's a disservice to yourself, your company, your team, if you aren't showing up and doing your best and giving that great effort
1: for sure and i've even thought about fear of success so we talk about fear of failure a lot um but i've run into clients who are afraid of success let's take the golden state warriors cuz everyone knows them it's like look what just happened to them they were this team before with curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, and they're coming up, and they're battling, and they're playing this beautiful brand of basketball. Now they bring in Kevin Durant. Now they bring in DeMarcus Cousins. And what was fascinating with that team was the other thing you saw was Durant win two championships, but also not really seem fulfilled because of the he he didn't feel the pain in the process that those guys had to feel when they were bad, and so. A this idea of like the process and the journey really being where fulfillment lies and true success lies. And then B for a lot of people when you are on top of that mountain, now you got a target on your back. And you saw this with LeBron James when he went to Miami. It's like, "Holy crap, like now the bar is risen and you know, there there comes responsibility and obligation with success that when people see it, sometimes they're afraid to tap into that because to your point it's much easier for me to just go about my day i don't get critiqued i don't get criticized the ego isn't affected and i can just keep going
0: yeah it's it's interesting you say that on the championship side because we talk a lot about about the importance of gratitude especially when it comes to the process because you have the one of two results if you lack gratitude you have the unfulfillment with the journey because you didn't enjoy the process the overcome adversity the chance of, and the time spent to get to that point so you're not able to really embrace and enjoy the journey or on the flip side of it, you get there, but you use every person along the way as a pawn to help you succeed. So when you finally do succeed, you're alone. And, and that's huge in life because we see people in Hollywood to sports to business at the pinnacle of their career, of their industry, and they're just not happy. They're either completely isolated or they just are so upset that they get to this point and are like this this is it. Like, this is all that's left. Instead of, man, I enjoyed it. I brought people with me on the journey. I have all these people that I was able to impact and influence and help. As we talked about offline, the importance of helping others succeed. Like that's what makes it so special.
1: It's so interesting. Happiness and the science of happiness has been studied and they really hit on, we're social beings, like we're meant to be interacting with others. And the more social we are, the happier we are. Not necessarily extrovert or introvert, but having deep, meaningful relationships, self-satisfaction, improvement helping other people, there is a science to all of that. So uh, really important stuff for everyone to understand because I've given talks with hundreds of people before and uh, I used to do a talk where I'd say, hey, who here wants to be happy? And everyone would raise their hand. So understanding what the links are to that are, are pretty important. Uh, but I wanna go back to your story and uh, you said something about your, your parents and that one was an entrepreneur and the other was a teacher. And so I'm curious, what are the values that, that they pass down to you uh, from a young age,
0: yeah. So my mom was the teacher; she's still teaching first, second grade. Uh, she's got one more year before she retires. for For her, it was the idea of of always learning uh, and then encouraging. Like she was very big on encouraging effort and letting me know she was proud of me, and I could see her do it with other people. And so that was a really big one for me. Um, I laugh because my title here at Compete is Chief Encouragement Officer, but it it's under the idea that our words have so much more power than we give them credit to. Um, And in today's world, we see so much negativity and and hate and everything else spewed that there's a lot of power in positive words and and not like false bravado, but just like, listen, I believe in you. And you know this as well. Like someone looks at you dead in the eye that you admire, that you look up to, you know, and just says, I believe you can do this. It's enriching. it's, It's empowering more than anything. My dad has a chain of gas stations in East Texas. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, his dad was a contractor, had a contracting business, and my mom's dad was a cotton farmer in West Texas. So they were entrepreneurial as well. Uh, From my dad, what I learned, really two things, I think. It's that you're never too big to do the dirty work. Um, Owning a gas station, I've talked about this a few times, but the importance of clean bathrooms, because any anybody that's ever been on a road trip, like you stop at certain gas stations and you're like, I'm not going in there. Like I'm about to die, but I do not want to go in there. And so my dad was always adamant about clean bathrooms. And it didn't matter if we had a tiny store or one of his nicer, larger ones. And he would not hold back from cleaning it or making me clean it or, you know, making sure the gas pumps were nice and clean. It wasn't grimy because he knew little things mattered. And if his team saw him, if his employees that gas station, a lot of them are making minimum wage, just above minimum wage. If they see the owner of the company out there willing to do all that work, then it's not a big deal if he asked them to do it because they've seen that he's willing to get in there and get into the arena there with them. Um, And then the other part was just the importance of family. Uh, And I say that because like the one thing that inspired me with entrepreneurship and going that route was my dad never missed one of my sports games growing up. I think the only time he and my mom were ever gone is they had a trip, they'd won a trip to Austria and they were out of the country and they missed like one Pee Wee football game. But in my entire youth high school sports career, they were at every game, every Saturday. And so I really appreciated that um, because I knew a lot of my teammates weren't as fortunate to have that opportunity. And so that was something that I saw as like, Dad could have probably made more money doing some different things, doing other things, but he wanted this type of lifestyle to be around me. And so those really stood out to me of the importance of being willing to do the dirty work, even if you're the head honcho, and then just putting and prioritizing that family because you have to be so intentional with how you create your career, how you create your life, because otherwise somebody's gonna create it for you and it may not necessarily be what you want.
1: And how have you intentionally created your career?
0: Yeah. So, uh, part of it was unintentional. Uh, when I got out of the sports representation world at the end of Oh eight, uh, economy was terrible. Uh, I had non-traditional work experience. I had an MBA, couldn't get a job. Um, I was applying everywhere. I mean, I couldn't even get like a part-time best buy holiday job. Uh, it was terrible. And so my background was marketing and branding. Started reaching out to anyone in my network that I'd built over the years and just said, Hey, I can do design. I can help you with website. Social media was still really new at that time, um, but was studying a ton from some of the leaders uh, like Shama Kabani, um, Chris Brogan, guys like that, and girls like that. And so I would get one client would just be like, Yeah, I need help with a website or with a design on a flyer. So I would do that and eventually get them to refer me on. And so I built a consulting business, um, had it really from 2009 to about 14. Um, But after a few years, I had this idea of starting compete every day. I had the idea of really encouraging people with this mindset to compete against yourself and pursue greatness in every area of your life. And when I started it, it was honestly just the brand message. I spent six to eight months tinkering before I ended up going into apparel initially And the way I positioned it is I'm going to sell from a consulting standpoint, I'm going to sell just the bare minimum of hours and money I need to survive. uh, Which was looking back, very poor planning on my part to not make more of a safety net uh, of finances. But I said, I'm just going to sell enough and then I'm going to spend every other hour building compete with the idea of I'm single. I'm in my twenties. I'm going to build this sucker now before I have a family that. Once I have the family, I can start prioritizing time and things differently. What I learned is you start to develop habits. It's really hard to break those habits. And and so I've been with my wife now uh, five years. We're about to be, uh, well, I've been married almost four years uh, coming up here in August. And when we first started dating, it was really a transition period for me of going from, I can get up at five or six, hit the gym. And then I've got till midnight if I want to work on stuff. Well, now I don't necessarily have that now I've got to start prioritizing mornings and evenings when she's home spending time with her that really had to train me to be better about it and her obviously on her end to work to adapt to a little bit of of how I work and sometimes my brain just does not work in the middle of the day sometimes it's 10 o'clock at night I have an idea and I've got to get something out. And so now the way I've kind of structured our life is really to offload as much as I can onto my team or to, to contractors, um, but really make the investment last year and this year to pivot our business to where we want. And that's honestly full-time speaking and writing um, the apparel and kind of the main compete business becomes supplemental uh, to where that if I'm gone, you know, hundred nights a year, that's 200 I'm home. Uh, and we're comfortable financially, we're able to enjoy kind of time and travel together, which is where we want. So it was just working through it. I think it's like any couple, any relationship you're working through where you both want to be or what you see as ideal and say, okay, we can't do that right now, but can we in two years, can we get to this point financially in two years? Can we get to this point from a time standpoint? And so that was kind of where we came to, Of this is really where I'm trying to go. Does this align with what you want? Cool. We're gonna make sacrifices one year so that when year two, three, and beyond, we're set in the position we want when we've got a growing family and things like that.
1: You said mom was a teacher, dad was an entrepreneur. Yep. How much of your job is a mixture of of those two things?
0: Daily, daily. Uh, I laugh. The the entrepreneur side of wearing you know multiple hats in the business, is, as you well know, and then the teaching side is is really what a speaker is. Like, um keynote speaker, trainer, at the end of the day, you are a glorified teacher who's just trying to help people either learn a topic, a way of thinking, a new mindset, um, in a way that appeals to them. And the beauty of what I love about speaking and especially working with companies and teams is you and I could go and present and we'll take out our friend, Alan and, and multiple other people stand on the stage and present a lot of us. There's a lot of overlap in our messages and what we're talking about and the importance of different things. But for someone sitting in the audience, they may only resonate with you and someone else may only resonate with me because of how we're telling our stories and how we're presenting it. And so what we try to do and what I try to do is how many different ways can I tell you the same story, almost like a teacher trying to teach you math or something. How many different ways can I explain this formula so that it clicks knowing that Bobby is not going to understand it the same way Sally does. And so I've got to find a way to communicate with both. And so really, it's funny I, I laugh that that's kind of what it's come into is the teaching I never thought I would get into uh has become almost the daily and then the entrepreneurship which I kind of felt would always be there is is still part of it.
1: And do you have siblings?
0: No, nope, only child.
1: And are you more like mom or more like dad? Forget the forget the title as far as teacher and entrepreneur or just dad.
0: I definitely think I'm more like dad. I'm uh I'm a little more stable and i said uh, stable is a terrible word uh to use in that sense so i'm gonna say uh even kill from an emotional standpoint um just because my dad does he talks less than i do uh but it could be a crazy day or not and it takes a lot to get him to erupt or show signs of emotion um and my wife will laugh that i'm very much the same way like the house could be on fire And I'm just like, what are we going to do next? Like, I can't do anything about this. What are we going to do next? And so very much have that mindset with my dad, as well as just the brain is really tough for me to turn off. Um, I could be in the middle of a Spider-Man movie and I'm going to see something on the screen or hear something that's going to start a chain reaction in the back of my head of like, oh, that's a really good topic. And I think it could be applied here. And then I've missed 15 minutes of the movie because in my head, I'm chasing through a theory that I can teach in another way.
1: And it's interesting that you said even keel because before we started this conversation, I I think I started by saying you've got tons of energy and passion. So if you could explain the difference between having energy, having passion while still being even, uh, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. So for me, energy and passion uh, is poured into serving others, helping others, enjoying life kind of deal the even kill is where I try not to let things outside of my control influence my attitude. Um, And really it comes down to that growth mindset that we talked about earlier of, of understanding, like there's only certain things I can control my focus, my attitude and my actions. And if things outside of my control are burning all around me and there's fires everywhere, I can't necessarily control them. I can get stressed out. I can spend all my time worrying about it. I can, you know, just get worn down doing that. But it's it's Tom Brady, it's great champions in sports. They don't get too highs with the high and they don't get too lows with the low because what matters most is the next play. Doesn't matter what just happened, what's the next play. And so that's really why I've tried to take on life. And then the passion and energy, I just want to pour into others because I'm so passionate about the things I talk about, the things I do, um, and those I control. I control how much I invest in you, how much I pour into you. Um, without letting the things outside of that control derail that.
1: Growing up in a small town in Texas, what was that like for you?
0: Oh, man, uh, it's interesting. I grew, So I grew up not only small town, small town Southern Baptist. Uh, and you just develop very different stigmas. Uh, I always knew I wanted out. Like I didn't like the small town. Um, I didn't like the idea of everyone was always in your business. Uh, I also felt like you're a little bit behind. Now, today, technology's changed everything that you could live in a small town and still have Amazon Prime and Netflix and music. But like when I grew up, we had five radio stations. Most were country talk radio. And I don't think we got a rap station until my senior year. And it played four songs on repeat my whole senior year. So for me, the advantages were I got to know a lot of people. Um, The downside was anytime you messed up, everybody knew about it. Uh, and so I just wanted out. I always had ideas and dreams of something bigger. Um, but looking back, uh, the small town was very beneficial from the standpoint of, of sports and opportunities I had that would have been very easy to get overlooked or passed by in a much bigger pond, a much bigger pool. Um, had I been in a Dallas or, you know, another area like that. So there's so many goods and bads. Um, I, you know, we laugh now of, do what I want to move back to a smaller town, not necessarily 13,000 people, but a smaller town when we have kids to raise kids or do we want to keep them in the city? Uh, Cause my wife grew up in Oklahoma city, which is larger. It's still not major, major, but it's still a larger city. And so there's, there's benefits to that, but you, you know, small town as well. You can get away with murder practically as a kid sometimes. and Nobody knows about it.
1: And uh, you talked about some pain breaking up with your ex-girlfriend, having that night where you're playing Guitar Hero and being like, what are we doing? What in those instances did you do to pivot or to go forward? Because I'd imagine there are people listening to this and maybe they just broke up with somebody or maybe they're going to play Guitar Hero on a Wednesday night at 10 (laughs) o'clock or whatever people are playing right now. I, I don't, I'm not really to speed on that as I sound like uh, an old man. Um,
0: not as all any, anymore either.
1: Yeah. But like what, what in those moments did you do to, to get yourself out of those, I'm going to call them funks, but, um, whether you're lost or you're unsure, or you're in pain, what did you do in those moments?
0: Yeah. So for me, a lot of it at that time was starting to surround myself with the right people of people I wanted to be like, and just, the best advice I ever had was show up whether you want to be there or not. Like just physically be there, whether it's a meeting, whether it's a networking event, whether it's a church service, wherever it is, show up, whether you want to be there or not. Um, Because eventually with enough time showing up, you'll start to become who you want to be or who you were, who you you like to be in life. And so for me, the rock bottom, uh, it was a buddy and I just, looking at how do we change our habits? Like how do we change the things we're doing all the time? Like going out each night after grad school, probably not a good idea. Who can we start hanging out with more? Um, What can we start doing? What can we stop doing? Because sometimes we just get in these funks and then we stay in this negative loop, this negative cycle. And that can happen in the business sense. Like I had it in 2013. I bet the farm almost on two events that cratered for us. And I drove after one of them from LA to Vegas across the desert. And it was the most somber drive of my life because there's nothing between those two towns and you're leaving a failure. And all you're thinking about is like, do I need to quit? Like, do I need to get out of this? And you have all the voices in the back of your head. You're not qualified for this. You're stupid. You can't, you got to get out of here. Everything that we've had after any setback that any of us have, have had. And for me, I always go back to a conversation I had with a friend when I first started. Now, when I first started compete, I've used it for the last nine, 10 years is my message is on this idea that success and just winning in life, not necessarily money and fame, but winning in life, being able to get to the end of your life, essentially on empty, not looking back with regrets, but being satisfied with the journey, the people you met, the relationships you invested, like that's, my whole talk that's my whole life and to be able to do that it just requires not giving up and it requires this this mindset that doesn't matter what's coming I've still got more in me like my best is still ahead of me and it's a just a phrase that I went back to on that drive is that I messed up but my best is still ahead. And when you believe that the idea that quitting kind of goes away and all of the time and energy and emotion and stress we put into quitting something of how can I quit this? How can I get out of this bad deal? How can I do this and this instead of what can I do next? Like what is my next step? What's the next thing I can do? Completely changes our lives because we go from worrying about everything out of our control, everything that's beyond our touch that has already happened. It's behind us. And instead of using it as a reference, we tend to use it as an anchor. And once we start using what's behind us as just a point of reference and a lesson and focusing on what we do next, everything frees. And we're able to keep moving down that process, that journey. So for anyone that's kind of stuck in that funk, I know what you're feeling. Like I, you know, like I laugh, I was borderline alcoholic after a bad breakup with my first love. Like it, it, you just, you go through bad points in life. It, it's inevitable for all of us. However, The one thing we control is what we do next. And the beauty is that there's freedom in what you do next and and looking back and learning from that experience, embracing that growth mindset uh, of what can I do better in my next relationship, what didn't go as well, um, and where can I continue to grow and improve as a person.
1: You mentioned sports agency, MBA, um, brand marketing. It sounds like you were doing a conference or, or something along those lines were you always interested in psychology or is that something that came later in life?
0: Uh, Honestly came later in life. Uh, Mainly after kind of getting out of my hole and starting to look really into athletes and sports and why does this guy succeed? And this person doesn't because this person has more talent than that person. And is it truly the outworking outsmarting? And so the more I started just looking into it and studying different people, you started to see really the importance of the middle. game. And then I could start seeing the importance of the middle game in my life as I start looking back at different key points uh, and talking to mentors and talking to business leaders who like just seem to have it together. And then you talk to them and realize everything they're dealing with. And I'm like, how are you managing all this? And you start learning about resilience and grit and, and all of those pieces going into it. And so that's, honestly, the psychology has been really the last five to six years of diving more and more into studying it, studying growth mindset, studying resiliency, and, and just how do we further equip ourselves? Because especially in today's age, technology, starting a business, there's so many pathways to success that we didn't have 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And what's really separating a lot of people are their ability to focus in on the right things rebound from the wrong things or the setbacks, um, and just persevere, not get caught up in this idea of overnight success. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is because the the company or the, the community and the people we've come to serve, we don't have, I mean, we have some baseball, pro baseball players in there, but a lot of them are everyday professionals. They're in their 20s, they're in their 30s, early 40s. They just want to be better at showing up at home and at and the fastest, easiest way to show up better at home and work is to improve your mindset and to just one by, day by day, choice by choice, start to build on it. And so that's really where that's come in is because I know that if I can influence your mindset, how you see the world, how you see yourself in the world, your life can completely change without anything else changing. Like everything about your bad job, your salary, your relationships can change if you start to change your mindset around it.
1: Yeah, Tim Galway's book, Inner Game of Tennis, Inner Game of Golf, Inner Game of everything. Uh, but he has this line, the inner game runs the outer game. And uh, it's, a, it's just a, it's such a simple concept, but it it's really valuable. The way I look at it is like the inner game is what unlocks your potential. You still have talent. Like we all have gifts. We all have talent. Uh, where that comes from, nature and nurture don't even need to have the debate. It doesn't matter too much once you're a certain age. What matters is what are you going to do inside to try to nurture your nature? And uh, as I think about you, I'm I'm just wondering and, and curious about what you intentionally do. So you talk about serving uh, people and pouring into them and helping them learn. What do you do to intentionally make sure that your mindset is where you want it to be?
0: Yeah. So for me, it's, it's being active is a big piece of my life. Uh, Making sure four to five days a week, I'm at least getting a workout, a sweat. I just feel better Um, a ton if I'm moving. Um, It's kind of the idea that if I don't take care of myself, I can't show up as my best for others. Um, And so that's a mix of CrossFit or studio workouts or running. Um, So mornings are big for me in terms of working out or days I don't work out, just rolling around, stretching, moving reading. Uh, I try to read at least a chapter a day of a book. Um, I've got stacks as you can see behind me, uh, of, of books that I'm just always collecting and learning. And they range honestly from business to finance to mindset and psychology. So it's, it's kind of across the board of how I can learn. Um, and then the other piece is investing in relationships, like having few select people that once a month I'll grab coffee with, uh, in person or have a call um, and just have coffee as we're doing a zoom call, just catching up on life and what's going on with them. How can I serve them? How can they serve me? What can they hold me accountable for? Um, that's really where I found the best um, because it it allows me and continues to re-energize me um, of spending my time uh, just pouring into others. Um, but the way I do that and the way I'm able to do that is surrounding myself with the right people, having a strong morning routine, Um, and then just focusing on the mission.
1: Can you give us your morning routine?
0: Uh, yeah. So normally it's going to be up by six, uh, sometimes earlier if I'm going to catch a class, but it's up by six, rolling out uh, upstairs in my office or heading to the gym, uh, to get a workout. Usually when I'm driving there, um, I've gotten into a habit of listening to some positive affirmation tapes, uh, just to the gym. When I get to the gym, I'll flip on a podcast during my warm up. Um, And then if I'm doing any kind of strength training, I'll listen to the podcast. And then when I do more high intensity, I'll flip it to music. Um, So that way I'm consuming positive content to start my day learning, starting to expand my mind. I found I tend to retain more information if I'm active or right after I'm active, if I'm, if I'm reading or learning then, Uh, then usually it's back to the house, um, helping around with the dogs while my wife heads into work and then getting a cup of coffee and diving in. Uh, I break the traditional rules that say don't check your email or your social media. Uh, But what I normally try to do is go into my inbox and clean out stuff that I immediately see is unimportant spam, whatever, delete it. So that later when I actually sit down with my email, it's the essentials that I can dive into. Um, And then when I was writing the book and I've gotten back into the habit of it this week is sitting down trying to write every morning, like first thing, what's something short. It could be a paragraph. It could be a page. Uh, but just writing something around these lessons, something I've read, something I'm seeing in TV, uh, because I tend to find that the mornings I'll write something. My brain and and creativity just continues to flow so much better throughout the day, wherever else I'm going. So if I have a 7.30 a.m. meeting or coffee meeting, I make sure I'm up earlier to do some writing before I go to that.
1: What time do you go to bed at night?
0: It ranges usually between 10 and 11, uh, kind of depending on the night. Uh, my wife loves TV. Uh, and I say that she loves to fall asleep with the TV on. Uh, so there's some nights that I'm like, I've got to go sleep on the couch cause I just can't do the bright light. Um, and then other nights it's out and I've got like a sleep mask on, uh, like a crazy person, but it, it helps me knock out sometime before 11. So I'm getting a good six to seven hours.
1: I was just curious because you said earlier that your mind doesn't really shut off. And so a lot of times when people have minds that are watching Spider-Man and thinking about something, sleep can become a challenge.
0: It, You know, it is. Uh, the one thing that has helped, there's actually a couple of things that have helped. Not being on social media right as I'm going to bed has been a big one. Um, second is having a notepad beside my bed. So if I think of something, just wake, get up, write it down really quick. Um, the third is my wife hates it, but I don't let her. And I say, don't let her, I ask her not to watch shows like shark tank. Um, I can't even, I'm blanking on the other one. Uh, one of the other ones, the profit, uh, show, but anything like that, that's going to be a business related that I'm going to hear something and just brain start running. Uh, because I learned she loves shark tank, loves the profit and she would watch it before bed and I would lay there and hear things. And then my brain starts running. And so that's kind of the big one now. Now she'll watch Kimmel or the news and and I can kind of go to sleep with those. Uh, but yeah, th- that is what I found really well. The other is just reading a chapter of a physical book, no Kindle, no iPad, no phone, but having a physical book, a couple of pages helped me kind of relax and turn off before bed. And so usually I'll try to save that for a fiction book, um, biography, something that's not a business psychology book that I'm going to want to take a lot of notes in. I'll try to read those before bed.
1: You mentioned something about church earlier, and then you also said you grew up in a town that's very Southern Baptist. Uh, How does faith play a role in in your life?
0: Yeah. So I, I think my faith is a major contributor. I was one of those guys, grew up crazy strict, not quite Catholic strict, but Southern Baptist, pretty strict, narrow view of the world uh, that when I went to college uh, had a very different perspective. Uh, Faith was there, but more in talk than it was anything else. Um, I think kind of getting out of my rut after my breakup um, and starting to kind of discover what I truly believed um, from a faith standpoint about, you know, who created me, what I was created for. That has played a role mean um, that as well as I'll be honest, like, you know, we talked a little bit offline about some of the other people you've, you've had on the show that have discussed it. I, I honestly think my story is not necessarily about me, uh, which makes it a lot easier for me as I've gotten older to swallow more of my pride and the desire to to want to be known and, and be a you know big name in the space and focus more on how can I help serve others. When I start to say I was created to do something, I was given certain gifts that here's where they help, here's where they help, uh, or they help others, here's where they serve and and are useful. And so I try to pour into that um, as kind of the backbone of what I do. And and there's some elements of our message that um, I've had people come up and say something about, oh, they've heard something similar in church. And I'm like, really? Let's have a conversation about what I said along those lines. But I can see it because my faith does inspire a lot of what I create um, just because I believe my work and what I do is not necessarily about me.
1: You mentioned writing a book and speaking. You also have your podcast, you have an apparel line. Uh, So give everyone a little bit about how your mindset works in each of those, if they're similar, if they're different, but I'd love for you to just go into each one. So when you're speaking, this is what I try to bring to speaking. When I'm writing, this is what I try to bring to writing. When I'm you know, being creative with the design on the apparel. I might not be using the right words, but that's how yeah. I'm thinking about it. No, you know, yeah, this-
0: you're you're right in line, right all in right. line with
1: all. And, of- and podcast too. So I'm just curious, like, how do you how do you shift into each of those? And if you have any tools or any uh, systems or processes, you mentioned writing in the morning and keeping yep. you know a little notepad next to your bed. So there's those types of things. I'm just curious to learn about your processes
0: yeah yeah so it started just apparel i thought i was going to build the next nike and then we got a few years into it and realized you know self-financing this wasn't the best route if that was what i wanted to go but really i sat down with my team in 2014 2015 and said what do we do really well and everyone on the team agreed it's our brand and how you communicate the idea of competing every day and i said well if that's what we do really well if that's our best asset we don't need to be just close. And so over the years, we started adding things. So the way kind of my processes work is it it used to be separate, but it's one umbrella now, which is why I think the brand is, has really picked up steam the last two years. And that the core of what we try to do is help ambitious people stay motivated to reach their goals and their true potential. Like if I could sum it up, when I go speak, that's my goal. But when I try to speak to companies and organizations, it's how do you adopt what we call the five traits of a competitor. How do you adopt grit, growth mindset, gratitude, pursue greatness, and then help groom others? Like that's what we try to talk about. So, in an organizational sense, it really comes down to building grit, accountability, and encouraging or, or giving your team processes and ways they can show up every day, regardless of how they feel, regardless of what drama is going outside the work. Which really helps from a performance standpoint and helps rally the team. So that kind of fits that area. The podcast. Can I, can
1: I pause? you? Yeah. Yeah you said something that uh got me thinking which is ambition you said we, we you know we want to work with ambitious people i recently took an assessment and i scored like 84th percentile for ambition and i was kind of surprised i was like oh i <laughs> i didn't think that and then i've told people that know me i even said it to a client the other day and they're like yeah dude you didn't think you're going to be high on that but i'm i'm bringing that up to say how do you do you, do you try to help people that are maybe lower on that ambition? How do you think about ambition? How do you interpret it? Um, and what do you do with people that might not have ambition at the rate that, that you do?
0: Yeah. So a lot of the way I look at ambition is if you have a desire to improve an area of your life, if you have the desire to improve your health, your career, your relationships, ultimately where you end up in life. And so because of that, it can manifest itself in different ways. You have, you know, you want to health wise. I'm not going to be your guy. That's going to be a nutrition coach, fitness coach. However, I want to provide you motivation as well as people and content that can help you. Um, and the people that that really have the fixed mindset, I would say, in in all areas of life versus just one or two. Um, you want to have those conversations, but it comes down to teaching and asking questions. Of asking, why do you believe this? What could happen if you thought differently? Um, and trying to encourage them to see the world differently. Um, which is a lot of when I go talk at a conference and outside of a corporate space, you run into because there's some people that just don't care to show up as their best self, they're completely content. And to be honest, a lot of those people aren't my people. Um, It's it's kind of the same if you've read the book Fourth and Goal Every Day by Phil Savage about Alabama, like Nick Saban has very strict physical requirements for the most part of every position, every player on the team. Like he, he has a certain flexibility, certain size. He wants you if you're a tight end, if you're a running back. And they try to fit everybody in this box and they have some outliers, but for the most part you're in the box or you're not. For me, it's kind of the idea of, I want people that have a desire to get better, to improve that maybe don't know how or aren't held accountable to versus the ones that just don't believe it. And I'm happy to have a conversation with those who just are completely good with it. Um, But until they have something happen in their life or they're put into a position where they're motivated by what's happening to them to change it, or they're afraid enough that they want to change it, you can't really help them um, if that really makes sense, which you want to be able to help everybody. But the one thing I've, I've learned over the years from a business and speaking standpoint is, you're not necessarily meant to serve and help everyone. It's, it's for those specific niches and areas where people are trying to grow and improve.
1: You know what that just brought up for me? I was at a conference once and I used to always use this line, I can't take bring a horse to water that doesn't want to go. And that would be a line that I'd use uh, as far as the clients that I serve. And so this coach, I forgot what sport it was. It might've been rugby or I forget what sport it was. It doesn't really matter though. Uh, he got up there and he said, you know, I had, I just became the national coach. I really struggled. And I came home and I saw my dad and I said to my dad, I go, dad, I can't bring a horse to water. That doesn't want to go. And his dad turned to him and said, yeah, but you can make him thirsty. And man, when he said that, I was like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with me continuously still trying to make them thirsty. I still know the horses that I'm going to bring to water, but my job is not to judge them on when they're ready and when they're not ready to go for water. And I'll tell you, like, I worked with DC United, the, the major league soccer team in town, and I would go into the locker room and there were definitely guys who weren't, who didn't want to go to, to go get water. And I would just try to make them thirsty. And it might've been through a workshop or it might be going by their locker and just having a conversation about a book that they're reading. Um, but I think as coaches, as teachers, as leaders, uh, our job isn't necessarily to just bring the horses to water that want to be there, but also the ones that don't, staying with them and making them thirsty. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. We can't serve everybody. Like I'm writing a book. I know... Probably you feel the same way. It's not going to be for everybody. And there's going to be some people that are not going to resonate with it. You give a presentation, you know, if you get a third of the room, you, like to me, they always break down into thirds, right? A third of the room's bought in because those guys are, those are the people that just want to learn. A third of the room's going to block you out because they're just not interested. And there's that middle third that you want to grab. But that bottom third, like for me, I'm still, I don't know if it's my competitive spirit or what it is, but when that guy said, yeah, you can make them thirsty, that resonated with me because um perhaps there's there's more going on there and there's a reason why there's resistance and, and, and perhaps the timing's not right
0: well and i love that and and I, i'm what i'm going to say next is probably going to go against everything i said previously but if you look at what i mentioned earlier about us speaking at the same event and somebody resonating with you very different than me and my job is to teach each person in a different way it's it's similar to that sense what I try to say is, I don't try to worry or lose sleep about those that I can't make thirsty. Um, and the only sure. reason, only reason for being is that I feel like that's a never ending battle. Um, which, if you look at kind of how we lay out, yes, I speak. I do a lot of corporate speaking. Uh, we also have the podcast that that you were on. And the podcast is a way that's changed over the years initially, it was just stories of people I felt were competing every day. And I wanted, You as a listener, the first 30, 40 episodes was to understand this wasn't about working out. Like this wasn't just a workout brand. This is a a way of life, how you approach every day. And then over the years, it's been the last two years, it's how do we improve our mindset around competing every day? How do we keep showing up when life gets hard? How do we improve our choice making? Um, And so that's really where the show is, is designed to say, you may never buy a t-shirt from me. You may never be in a position to hire me to speak but I can get in your ear in this podcast and convince you why it's important that you need to compete every day for what you want. Um, and then the apparel, for me, the apparel is really the content creation of everything else because when you're thinking of t-shirts, you've got to come up with, with catchy slogans and, and we get, we've had some funny ones over the year play-ons, but for the most part, they all have a purpose and they all have a, a reason for being what they are. And so we've got a big release coming out uh, this summer. And, and one of the ones is forge your greatness. And the, the front says built, not born. And I, and what we'll do around it is I'll have some speaking points and video and a podcast, but it's all around the idea of get out of your head, that certain people are just born great. Like you, this is built day by day, choice by choice, um, little by little. And, and the picture is kind of a blacksmith anvil and, and hammer. Um, and so each of ours, the other one, another one of our shirts is called never let a hard day win. And so finding a way that no matter how bad the day sucks, take a step forward. And So the shirts really reinforce the content we're creating or some of the content that I'll write and see will inspire something on the shirt. And so they really flow together really well right now. Um, and then the coaching is, you know, I did it for a couple of years, one-on-one, had a number of clients uh, that I really enjoyed the one-on-one. But as you know, it's its really hard to scale that Um And so what we started this year is it's called the arena. It's a small group coaching program. It's really inspired by the Theodore Roosevelt quote about the man in the arena. And so it's just a way for us that most people that are getting into it need help being held accountable to something. They've never had somebody that actually becomes that accountability partner Um, and then just give them ways that they can be a better leader. Like, how can I show up better at home? How can I show up better at work? Um, and so that's really where we focus on each each week with kind of some content emails and then each month. Um, and so they all flow in together really well. That just took eight years. I laughed to get to that point um, of saying, hey, listen, we want to equip you with the motivation and just the mindset you're going to need to have a winning life. Um, don't buy into what you think this winning life is supposed to be about Instagram followers or money. Like ultimately you want to get to the end of your life without sitting there with something in the tank or asking, what if I'd done better?
1: Can you talk to a little bit about the word compete and why that is at the forefront of, it seems like everything that you do.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the competition it, for me, it's compete is just a powerful word. Um, there's a word eritos, Um You commonly see it erite, um today, A-R-E-T-E. Um, Eretas is a conjugation of it. That's from the book Top Dog. Um, and it talks about the Greeks use this word in reference to competition because the ancient Greeks believed that competition is what revealed your greatest self. Instead of what you think you're capable of, instead of how high you think your ceiling is, competition proves how much more you have in the tank. Um, and for me, the reason I'm so passionate about competition is twofold. One, there's not an instance in a competition setting where we don't discover how much more we have within us, whether we're running a race against someone, whether we're on a football field, whether we're doing something that we're like, Oh, I didn't realize I had that in me. Like you've got a little bit more in you than you think you do. And so it's the idea of shattering those self-limiting ceilings and beliefs. And then to compete as an active word, you can't do that from the sidelines. You can't do that from the stands. You have to be on the field, in the arena of life, taking action. And so that's why it's such an important word for us is because it is doing something actively. It's not watching. It's not talking about the people in the field. It's actually competing. And it's about proving to yourself how much more you have within you and are capable of than you give yourself credit for.
1: As I'm thinking about your past life in branding and marketing, I've spent time with brand experts and one of the interesting things that becomes apparent is how important it is for them to go into people's motivations and their purpose and understand why they do what they do. And so I'm curious of how much of your branding experience is also relevant to your teaching entrepreneurial experience or your speaking or your writing. How much overlap is there from your previous life into your life now?
0: Uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of the overlap has been in the entrepreneurial setting in terms of when I was on the agency side, uh, I was at a smaller boutique agency. Um, and so I taught myself at night graphic design, web design, knowing that if I needed to get a foot in the door, I needed to have some kind of nice collateral because we weren't, you know, the CAAs and the IMGs. And so I would teach myself that. And then Having conversations with college kids, you learn to have conversations and learn about them and ask questions and get to know people, which is obviously aided in the coaching side of it now. And so, you know, I can look back at a lot of those pieces and see where at the time didn't realize I'd need it later on in life. But looking back now, I'm like, oh, those years I spent learning design and designing stuff or writing this and writing that. And see exactly how it's played into what I'm doing now, um, completely. Uh, which is just the beauty of this idea of, you know, sharpening your sword, doing the work, forging yourself, regardless of whether you're in a position you want to be in in your career. Just finding ways to slowly improve your skill set, your offerings, knowing that someday it's going to come in handy, and it could be ten to fifteen years from now before you realize like that early work you did your first two to three to four years in a job that you didn't really love, but you started to get better at sales and asking questions and having conversations completely benefits you in a completely different role now, but it's because of that.
1: So I'm going to ask you a little bit of a challenging question. So hopefully we don't have high school version of Jake in this, in this answer. And hopefully we'll have the today version of you. And that is, so you mentioned, you know, eight years later, we're starting to figure out exactly what we need to do. You said sometimes it takes 10 to 15 years um, to realize like, Oh, learning what I learned then is helpful. As you think about your next eight to 15 years, uh, A, what do you think you need to learn? And B, what's your vision for, for your company?
0: Yeah. So what I need to learn is a continual growth of how to be a better communicator and a better teacher. Um, and that's just more of asking questions to understand where people are and where disconnects may be. Um, just never thinking, I think it's the idea of never thinking I know it and being okay. If I fail at something, uh, instead of running from that failure, um, mainly because where I want to be, um, you know, we have mentioned him and I I think I've said it on a show or two before is, is John Gordon has a beautiful model of what he's built. And I don't necessarily want to go the full route of, of writing a book every year, but my goal in the next 10 ish years is, is compete has four to five books at that point. I'm speaking full time. Um, And we're just training people on how to compete every day in life where the apparel is kind of like a band merch. Like it's just a part of the company. You want to wear it because that message resonates with who you are, or where you're at in life. But really what you're about is being a better competitor, showing up better at work at home and then helping others. And so we want to be able to equip the people to do that and then to help the others. So If I could go that route and be a a mini Tony Robbins, mini John Gordon, uh, that's a happy happy ending for me because it means I'm able to influence people and and just make an impact on how they see the world, which is the most important thing to me because it means what I'm doing is not necessarily about me and lives well beyond my time here on earth.
1: Awesome. I think that's a beautiful place to stop. And I smiled when you said mini Tony Robbins because I don't think either of us are the tallest guy in the room. (laughs) And so compared to him, I think we're definitely minis. I think John Gordon, we're probably closer in height too. But um, anyway, this has been a a great conversation. And I just want to end by, uh, you've got a book coming out. Uh, As you mentioned, you do a lot of speaking, you've got your podcast. So I just want to give you a platform to promote whatever it is that you want to promote and let us know where we can find you and what you got in the pipeline.
0: Appreciate it. Yeah. So the best place to start for me is just competeeveryday.com. You can find more information about the apparel podcast is on every platform you can think of, um, as well as the coaching and and some of our events. If you're a parent and you have kids in youth sports, uh, we didn't even really touch on it, but check out RaisingCompetitors.com. It's honestly all the same content you'd find on Compete Every Day, just more distilled to help you teach those traits to your kids. uh, Because we understand that the better we teach stuff, the better we learn it. Uh, and it hopefully will help that next generation be a, a solid group of competitors and leaders that make the kind of impacts that we hope to make. Um, but we know that they can. And the book? The book is called Compete Every Day. I am hoping we have it out by the end of this year, um, but it'll be right on the website, competeeveryday.com. We'll have it on Amazon and everything when it's ready to go.
1: Well, now everybody, if, if he doesn't have it finished by the end of the year, you can pepper Jake <laughs> on social <laughs> That's media. That's right. Uh, Twitter handle?
0: Uh, Twitter. So compete every day is the same on every platform for me. Twitter is Jake a Thompson. Uh, so sh- give me a shout, say hi. And if you're on Instagram more than Twitter, uh, it's life is worth competing for.
1: And I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And you can listen to all of these episodes where you ever you get your podcast and also at intentional performers.com. Jake, great to get to know you a little better. And, uh, hopefully I'll be one of the people that were talking pretty regularly monthly can't do coffee because you're in dallas and i'm in washington and we didn't even get in into the national football league and potentially some rivalries as far as what we grew up on but maybe we'll get into that uh over the phone so uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast and looking forward to chatting with you again soon
0: thanks for having me thank you for listening to intentional performers with brian levinson Here is this week's episode jam. Yeah, so for me, energy and passion uh, is poured into serving others, helping others, enjoying life kind of deal. The even kill is where I try not to let things outside of my control influence my attitude.